What is up, Thrive Tribe? Welcome back to the podcast. And I am beyond stoked for today's show with Jordan Syatt. And for those who don't know, Jordan has been Gary Vaynerchuk's, the one and only Gary V's personal trainer and coach for the last three years. And he has so many stories, so much wisdom to share based on his human experience, both with Gary and just exploring his own human potential. And this is one of my favorite interviews we've done so far in the two years of the podcast. So I hope you get tremendous value from the show. And remember, knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. So as you are listening to Jordan share all of these knowledge nuggets, I want you to see how you can implement these practices and principles into your life. All right, fam, I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing and exchanging energy. And let's get to the show. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. And I am so grateful. I am so juiced. I'm so fucking excited for this next guest, Jordan Syatt. And Jordan is a short, bald, Harry Potter nerd with an affinity for deadlifting and also happens to be Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer. Now, Jordan began Syatt Fitness uh, his online fitness coaching business from the dorm room, from his dorm room at the University of Delaware in 2011, and has become one of the industry's leading experts in strength training, nutrition, and behavioral psychology. One of the only people in the world to deadlift four times his own body weight, Jordan's work has been featured all over the world, including a variety of media publications such as CNN, the Huffington Post, Business Insider, Men's Health Magazine, Men's Fitness Magazine, and Schwarzenegger.com. Jordan, welcome to the show, my dude. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Hell yeah, homie. That's a that's a pretty that's a pretty powerful intro right there. <laughs> I appreciate it. And the way you read it, I think is the the best anybody's ever read it in the history of me ever being a guest on a podcast. So I appreciate it. We got to bring that energy, bro. So, so let's jump right into this. So take me back to this moment where you're in Israel and I, I actually lived there for a year as well. And you're in Israel and then the opportunity comes to work with Gary V. Uh, who I'm also a huge fan of. You can see right there, you're going to die. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious to know, brother, how did this whole situation evolve and transpire? So it's it's a little bit of a longer story. Uh, I'll try and make it brief so uh, we're not here for four hours. But basically, so I, I started my website in 2011, right? So I started my website when I was in college and I just started making content, just writing articles. Um, I think it's worth noting at that point in my life, I didn't know an online business was possible. Like I had no idea. Um, I was a personal trainer. I still am a personal trainer. And I just thought that I was going to open up a gym and I would make articles online to help people. And that was it. So I was writing articles and, um, in 2012, I wrote an article, actually, I should say before this at that it, no one was reading my articles. Like I started writing articles, but nobody was reading them. The only person who was reading them was myself and my mom. And that was it. And my mom didn't even like the articles. <laughs> and uh, I would say for the first six months to almost a year, maybe got like 20 views to a hundred views a day on like a really good day. So not many people were looking at my stuff. In 2012, I wrote an article that was to date, like to until this day, it's still one of the least popular, least read articles I've ever wrote. It was three ways to improve your posture sitting at your desk. And um, in 2012, this guy named Mike happened to come across my website and found that article. And he left a comment. He asked a question and I had never met him. I had no idea who he was. Uh, it turned out he was an accountant in Chicago at the time. And uh you know, he was one of the only people leaving comments on my posts. And so I replied, and I answered him. So he ended up following my content pretty consistently thereafter. 
and I never spoke to him really, but like he, he clearly followed my content. That guy, Mike, his name is Mike Vacanti. He ended up moving to New York from Chicago several years later, and he ended up changing careers to be a personal trainer. And he became Gary Vaynerchuk's first personal trainer. So after his two years with Gary, Gary said, who's going to be my next coach? And Mike said, I think I know a guy. And the reason Mike thought about me was because Gary really needed help with his posture and he had a lot of pain. Mm. And so I was living in Israel at the time and Mike reached out and he was like, Hey man, how would you like to coach Gary Vaynerchuk? And, and Mike and I were not friends at like, we were, we were acquaintances at best. We spoke occasionally and, um, and I thought it was a joke. I didn't think it was real. I didn't think that I was actually getting offered the job to coach Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, and I wasn't getting the job. I was getting an opportunity to interview with Gary. So I was living in, in Tel Aviv and, uh, and Mike was like, do you want to interview to coach Gary? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, uh, and he was like, cool. So you need to fly to New York uh, this week to coach him. And I was like, oh, I can't do this week because my mom is coming to visit next week. And, you know, there's a chance that like, if I try and get back into Israel, that they're not going to let me in just because of, of, uh, visa issues and all that stuff. Right. And he was like, well, if you want the job, you got to come this week. And I was like, all right. So I booked a ticket, left Israel. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my friends, didn't tell my roommates, nothing. I left Israel, flew to New York, coached Gary for an hour flew back to Israel immediately. Fortunately, they let me in. And then six weeks later, I get a text message from a number I didn't know, basically just saying, are you ready? And my response was, I didn't know who this, who, who was texting me. It was six weeks since I, since I interviewed, I, had, I was out of my mind sort of. And, uh, and I was just like, who the fuck is this? And, uh, and then I got a text message back with a picture of Gary flexing his arms like this. No and, way, uh, and I was like, Oh my God. And that was how I found out that I got the job. And, uh, so then I moved from Tel Aviv to New York and I coached Gary seven days a week for three years straight. Yeah, dude, there's, there's a couple of really valuable lessons that I want people to hone in on after that story, which I appreciate you sharing. Number one is like, you never know who is going to come across your content. And that's exactly right. And I know whether it's you listening right now or you watching on YouTube right now, like you might be paralyzed by fear to be sharing your story. You're posting that article or posting that video, whatever it may be. Understand that Jordan was just staying consistent through that process, not really getting that much traction, like you mentioned. And the right person saw that article at the right time and it manifested into something so special. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that you emphasized that point because that's, that's really, it's flashy and it's big and it's cool to say like I coach Gary. What's not flashy and big and cool to talk about is the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles that I wrote that nobody ever read. And the years that I spent behind my desk in my dorm room when everybody else was going out drinking and partying and I was staying in there by myself late at night, just writing and writing and writing. And the only person reading my articles was my mom. And she was like, what are you doing? Why are you even doing this? Right. It's like, that's not the part that people really hear much about, but it was because of that, that led to that opportunity. Yeah. And so you started with Gary in 2016 and I, and I saw the YouTube video you put out, I think in May of 2019, that was like basically previewing your last day with him and really powerful video. I'm, I'm going to link that in the show notes so you guys can see this because I literally got goosebumps watching it. And, you know, you talk about some of the biggest lessons you learned in, in that three-year grind. Uh, what are some of the other things maybe that happened in that three-year time period that weren't as flashy, you know, that weren't as uh, dope to share on social media, because listen, I know you, you're, you're a fiance now, or you're sorry, sorry. Uh, you have a fiance now you're engaged. Yep, um, yep. you, you basically dropped everything to do this. So, so talk to us quickly about a couple other, uh, I guess, noteworthy things during that time, uh, that time frame. Yeah. I mean, I have a, a never ending list, right? It was, uh, there's a couple of things. Number one is I'm a, I'm a strength coach and nutrition coach or a, or a personal trainer, 
right? So my, my business is fitness. Now I'm a world record power lifter. Like my whole life I've been active and healthy and fit. When I started coaching Gary, my time was now Gary's time, right? It was like everything. And, and when I say seven days a week, three years straight, I literally mean seven days a week, three years straight. Every, there's no weekends. There's no breaks. There's no vacations. It's if Gary's in Hong Kong, I'm in Hong Kong. If Gary's in London, I'm in London. If Gary's in LA, I'm in, it was constant. So for the first time in my life, I don't have a regular workout schedule. I'm eating food at airports. I'm eating food like hotel room service. I'm traveling constantly. I'm barely sleeping. I pulled way too many all-nighters for work and started to gain body fat and lose muscle mass and lose strength. And for the first time in my life since middle school, I start to be uncomfortable in my own body. And I not only just because I don't really like how I look, but even more magnified because I'm a fitness professional. I'm Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer. And I feel like I don't even look the part because I can't prioritize what I want to prioritize. And, and for whatever it's worth, it's not that I couldn't, it's because I was prioritizing other things, right? So for example, Gary challenged me on December 27th, 2016 to post three times a day, every day on Instagram. So from December 28th, 2016 until June, I posted three times a day, every single day. I was spending at least eight hours a day on Instagram every single day. And I, my audience went from 5,000 followers to over 200,000 in that time frame. But that meant that I wasn't really working out. My nutrition was awful and I was solely focused on my work. And that's all I focused on. So people look at the number of followers I have and they see the flashy and they think it's cool but they don't understand how much work went into it. And then people also like say, oh, you coach Gary Vaynerchuk, that's so cool. But they don't see the, I couldn't really have any relationships. I was, I was gaining body fat. I was losing sleep. I was the most unhealthy I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I, I don't regret a second of it. And if I had to do it all over again, I would in a minute. Absolutely. Because everything that's come out of it has tremendously impacted me in such a positive way. But I think it's really easy to look at the title that someone has, to look at the job that someone has, or to look at what it looks like they have on social media and not understand that maybe that person is going through some really difficult shit and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I actually want to shift the trajectory of this conversation a little bit because you mentioned during this three-year period where you kind of fell off maintaining your own health and wellness, it was the first time that you kind of felt insecure about your own body uh, since middle school. And I, and I listened to the story of, I think you were in sixth grade running up the <laughs> stairs and a girl bumped into you and she muttered under her, her lips, man boobs. Yep. And I want you to talk a little bit about that story and how maybe it shaped your subconscious mind and your belief system. Yeah, man. I mean, it, man, that was, that was good. That was one of my more recent podcasts. So, so thank you for listening to that. I appreciate it. Um, that podcast was all about body image, right? And, and I think it's something that everybody struggles with in some way, shape or form. Everybody struggles with body image. And uh, I think it's something that a lot of people might assume that someone, someone might look beautiful or look handsome and everyone, oh, there's no way they struggle with body image, but you have no idea what they're actually going through. And that's sort of what was the impetus for that podcast. And I wanted to tell people about the first time that I remembered feeling insecure with my own body. And, and I'm sure there were times before, but the time that I'm, I remember as the first time was when I was in middle school and I was racing up the stairs of my middle school. And, um, me and my buddies were racing up to the top floor and this one girl, her name was Samantha, super nice girl. I don't, she didn't do it maliciously. I just think it just happened. Like she stuck her arm out and she hit my chest and I like felt the fat on my chest jiggling up and down as she hit it. Like I could literally feel it. And then she said, man, boobs. And that was it. And it was literally it. the whole interaction took less than a full second, but I immediately felt my face go red. And it's one of those things that in your, like, that moment 
will, I'll forever remember that until the day I die. Like that one moment. And that I immediately, I was like, I need to start doing pushups. Like, how do I get rid of these man boobs? Like I immediately became self-conscious of it. I was looking at other guys. I was like, they don't have man boobs. It was like, it was something that immediately took a huge hold over my body and my mind. And I think every person has some story like this in some way, shape or form. Something happened to them as a kid that they'll always remember. That will that shaped a lot of their their mental and emotional habits and thoughts around who they are today and why. Yeah, beautifully said, bro. Hundred percent, and and I'm sure you see it with the thousands of people that you've coached and continue to coach in your inner circle. You know, we all have these mini traumas, and and they 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 differ in scale, but these little things that happen when we're kids that we kind of brush under the rug that shift our belief system and our, and our identity. Like one for me, dude, is I did when I first did ayahuasca, like two and a half years ago, the shaman said, like, think about a time where you felt uh, like your self-worth was diminished as a child. And I couldn't really think anything. Cause like my mom and dad, I feel like showed me so much love and did the best they could. Um, but my dad would always make me write like hundreds of sentences. If I got uh, caught talking in class or just, just, <laughs> and I lit, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like you're, uh, you can obviously relate to Jewish parents and the yep. discipline and accountability, which I'm grateful for. So like, basically this happened every week where I was writing hundreds of sentences. Like I will not talk in class. <laughs> and, and what's crazy, Jordan is like subconsciously, bro, through high school, through college, I didn't use my voice. Like there's times all the time where I wanted to speak up or mm. I wanted to speak out against something I believed in or speak out against something that I saw that I felt like was wrong, but I didn't because I had this narrative in my mind that my voice didn't matter. So wow, it, it's crazy, bro. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you sharing that. That's a, that's a, a hell of a story, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you know, to shift a little bit to kind of keep that, to keep those wheels in motion. I know you also somewhat recently started to attend therapy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably about maybe, wow. I think about six months ago now. Okay. And talk to us maybe a little bit about, first of all, kind of that process of sharing these things vulnerably, which I know has been a challenge for you in the past. Yep. Yep. And maybe one noteworthy breakthrough that you've had in these six months going to therapy consistently. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say, I think one of the most, it's interesting. One of the most common questions I get about therapy, which I think is, is worth discussing is um, how did I decide to go to therapy? And it's something that had been in my mind for a while, but I just wasn't taking action on it. And it was something where if anybody asked me my thoughts on therapy, I'd be the first one to say, absolutely go for it. I think it's super important, but I wasn't doing it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I was finding reasons not to do it. I don't have the time, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And, and just to be forthright and honest, the only reason that I started it is because I had, I, you know, I run my own business. So I have my own health insurance and there was an issue. My payment wasn't going through. So I had to get on the phone with my health insurance company. And they were like, yeah, sorry. It's a company wide thing. Like is the, I was on auto pay. And so the auto pay wasn't working. So it has to be done manually. So I had to get on the phone and do it manually, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the call, they were like, is there anything else we can help you with? And I was like, actually, do you have any, ther are there any therapists in my area that you could connect me with? And they sent me a whole PDF of therapists and their different specialties in my area. So I got this, it was on a Sunday. I look through and I call five different therapists on a Sunday. No one picks up. One of them calls me back. And then that's been my therapist ever since. And it was just literally, it was just the luck of the draw. It's just a happenstance. And it's something that's completely changed my life. And I could not be more grateful for it. It's something I wish I did sooner. So, so the reason I tell that story is just because if it's something you're thinking about, don't wait until you have an auto pay issue and you end up having to get on, like, do it now, like take the action and do it. Uh, I, I wish I had started sooner. Um, but the reason I really wanted to start and the thing I started talking about with my therapist was my anxiety. I was having really, really bad anxiety, which for me was very odd because I had never had anxiety in my life. 
I, I, my whole life growing up, I was, I was never anxious. I was always like a pretty happy go lucky kid. Like I was, I never really struggled with anxiety. Um, and as I've grown my business and as I've grown a social media audience, I've noticed more and more anxiety creeping in. And it's, it's really, it's come in for a number of reasons. Um, but I think what, what's happened is I remember before I had a really large social media audience or anything, I, w- I would just look at someone with a large social media audience and be like, oh, they just must be so happy. I mean, how could they not be happy? They have so many people who follow them. They get so much interaction. Like they just must be the happiest person in the world. And looking back, I'm like, man, what a fucked up idea of, of how life and happiness works, right? It's just, it's so inaccurate. And what's interesting that I noticed about myself is number one, I've started to worry about losing all of it. Right. It's like one, when you build up a business and, and you have employees, you have however many employees who work with you and they, their livelihood depends on you. And you have people who are looking up to you on social media and in, in, in the world, just based on the content you're putting out, you get worried that, that it's all going to go away. And not only that it's all going to go away, but that they'll go against you, right? especially in cancel culture. That's been the biggest anxiety for me is it's a whole cancel culture is people losing their livelihoods, losing their careers, losing their friends, losing their families because of maybe one thing they said on Twitter. And all of a sudden, like they're done. They're poof. In an instant, everything is over. And it, I, I spoke about that a lot with my therapist and um, it's a real fear. It's a legitimate fear. The thing is I, I noticed, and I should say he probably noticed this and then helped me realize it is that I do something called catastrophize, which basically I'll, I'll take one thing that either happened or might happen. And in my head, I'll snowball it until it's this massive thing that is completely made up in my head. That like, maybe like I say one thing and then, well, then this will happen and this could happen and this could happen. This could happen. In the end, my business is gone. My fiance left me. My mom hates me. I have no clients, no, like nothing. Right. And my, my therapist would be like, well, so what's the likelihood of that happening? And out loud, I'm like, well, I'm probably not very likely. He's like, yeah, not very likely. And I'm like, but it could happen. He's like, yeah, it could happen. But is worrying about it going to do anything? And it's like, that's really the, the ultimate answer that it came down to is like worrying about it isn't going to help. And the reality is I can either keep working and keep doing what I love and keep making, trying to help people and make content around what I think people are going to improve their life with, or I can let this fear and anxiety rule every waking moment and just not do anything at all out of the fear of losing it, which would then ironically make me lose it because I'm not doing anything. So uh, that's been, I think, probably the biggest takeaway from it. Mm, Dude, that's, that's super valuable. And especially for anyone who's a content creator or pushing out their message. You know, it's crazy because I can really relate to that like six weeks ago. So I had built a TikTok following of like a little over 250K, which I think is right about where you're at with TikTok. Um, And like it was October 27th and I had just gone back from Mexico and someone hacked my TikTok account. Oh, fuck. And I like, I took like a detox for a week while I was in Mexico from like all social medias. So I was like super excited to get back on there, reconnect with my community. And, and, and literally it wasn't until about a week and a half ago that I, I got it back after six plus weeks. And, and I was asking myself, like, I use that time to actually really focus on other areas you know, cultivating my, like, my business, my high ticket coaching and stuff like that. So it was all a huge blessing, but I was trying to find the root cause of the feelings that I was experiencing. And it was actually similar to what you mentioned, like the, the fear of being irrelevant almost. Yep. And like, you know, especially in the culture we live in today where things move fast and like, it's like, that's all news, man. Like your videos <laughs> might've been hitting six weeks ago, but we don't want to see that shit anymore. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's six weeks is an eternity in this world. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to know, Jordan, like this is kind of a selfish question, but in terms of your, your, your creation process now, maybe in these last six months, is there anything that you have shifted to, to maybe repurpose content? I see you do a really good job of kind of repurposing content from the podcast to, uh, to, to social media and things like that. Are there any other useful tips you could maybe offer me personally and, and anyone else listening? Yeah, man, there's a lot. I would say one thing that's helped me is, um, 
I really, uh, I'll sort of give you an insight into my process as a whole, right? So, so I use Twitter, I use Instagram. I, I haven't been consistent with TikTok at all, um, but I use TikTok, I use YouTube and I use podcast. Those are like the big ones that I use right now. I also have used website articles, long form website articles, and that still drives a tremendous amount. Uh, the, the over 500 long form articles I wrote for years are still a huge push for me. Uh, I think that's probably the most overlooked thing right now in, in the social media world, which is because people get immediate feedback when they post something on social media, likes and shares and comments. When you post a long form article, you don't get that immediately. It's not immediate feedback. Um, but what you do get is search engine optimization. And anytime someone has a question, they go to Google, they search it. And what comes up, not Instagram posts, not TikToks, it's articles or YouTube videos. So I think um, if I was going to start, let's say everything, God forbid, got wiped out, Instagram, Facebook, all that got taken away. I'd start back with my website articles. That would be what I begin with. Cause I think that's the most important. It's the most long lasting and it really has a, the best long-term effect for a business. That being said, if we're talking social media posts, I really, really like Twitter as a testing ground. Um, and I, I have a love hate relationship with Twitter. I love it because it forces me to get my ideas out in a very concise way. Mm -hmm it really challenges me to be creative with how I can present something in 140 characters, which I mean, sometimes it'll take me 45 minutes to make one tweet, but like that's, it, it's a, it's a cool creative process. The hate part is the, the, the awfulness that you see on Twitter, right? The comments, the, the, really the cesspool that you can go down with some of the stuff that you see on Twitter. So I do my best not to go onto my feed. I don't like to look at anything. I'm very bad at responding to comments on Twitter just because I don't want to get sucked into any of that stuff. But from a creation uh, perspective, I love Twitter. And what I'll do is if I see something do well on Twitter, then I'll do it for Instagram. And it, if it does well on Twitter, it does well on Instagram. If it does well on Instagram, it'll do well on YouTube. If it does well on YouTube, it'll do well in a podcast. And so then what I can do is I can take that very short form content, that tweet, make it into slightly longer form, and then make it even into longer form, and then even into longer form. And then from that longer form, then I can take videos and chop it up again into shorter form, and into shorter form, into shorter forms for videos for Instagram, videos for Facebook, videos for Twitter. So I, I take what's initially a 140 character tweet, and then it becomes content across all platforms into very, very long form content. So I can go more in depth and discuss the nuances of it, and then break it back down into digestible bits for those shorter form platforms again. What up, podcast fam? I'm sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am super excited because I am finally accepting new applications for my 12-week one-on-one coaching program. In this program, we are gonna take your health, your habits, your happiness to the next level. And guess what? You're gonna have my personal number. I'm gonna be holding you accountable every step of the way, calling you out on your shit, but also showing you the love that you need and deserve. So if this sounds like something that you wanna step into, then I encourage you to DM me the word thrive at Coach Jeremy 305 on Instagram. DM me the word thrive on Instagram if and only if you are ready to unleash your full potential in 2021. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I love that, bro. Thanks for breaking that down. And I've never really gotten like, I've never dove deep into Twitter for that reason. Um, but yeah, I've seen you like repurpose that and then use that as fuel and give you more clarity on, hey, like what's resonating with people? Yes, exactly. And yeah, and I think, I think all of this stuff that we're discussing, like it might not seem like it's directly related to health and wellness, but it's like, I think it is because a lot of it is trial and error. It's like, Hey, you, you're not necessarily going to know how you're going to respond to that food or that exercise until you fucking do it. It's exactly right. And, and one of the things I really appreciate about your approach is like, there's no dogma. You're not like mm -hmm. keto, vegan, CrossFit, yoga, it's like <laughs> everyone's different. They're going to respond to different modalities in different ways. Don't be so fucking hard on yourself. Um, and, and I love that you're so blunt and honest and, and I feel like relatable. And that I think is why one of the big reasons why people 
fuck with you and, and, and they love being part of your community. So um, through your inner circle and through thousands of clients, what are some of the maybe common themes, whether it's mentally or physically, maybe some myths that people have accepted as truths uh, that you feel like are worth addressing now? Man, this could be a, this could be a book, right? <laughs> okay, be- okay. This is what we'll do actually. So I know you've been doing like this underrated, overrated. I was just about to, yeah. yeah. And that okay, was so, on Twitter. So, I started that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's do, um, okay, let's do intermittent fasting. Yep. Uh, intermittent fasting is overrated. And, and I think just for, for, all the, for all the haters out there, we have to clarify, overrated does not mean bad. It does not mean it doesn't work. It doesn't mean it's stupid. It just means that people overrate how good it is. And a lot of people look at intermittent fasting as a, a panacea to fix all of their problems. And like, well, you want to lose fat? All right, well, now you got to skip breakfast, skip lunch. You can only have one meal a day, intermittent fasting. It's like, that's bullshit. You can eat breakfast and still lose fat. Intermittent fasting is not going to be the savior for fat loss. For some people, it can help. For some people, it might be a useful tool. But the reality is for fat loss, you need to manage your total calorie intake. That's the most important part, right? So whether you decide to lose fat using intermittent fasting or you decide to lose fat while eating breakfast, it doesn't fucking matter because what matters most is your total calorie intake. So that's why I say intermittent fasting is overrated, not because it's bad, but because in terms of the grand scheme of things, it's it's not nearly even close to the most important when it comes to fat loss. For sure. And I think also a lot of these things are just as much psychological as they are, you know, uh, habitual and physical, meaning that a lot of people have been indoctrinated with the belief that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and that they need to be grazing and eating every three hours. Uh, When in fact, for some people, you know, maybe just the act of like not being so dependent on food first thing in the morning could be beneficial for them and create more resilience and flexibility uh, metabolically. Um, okay. Next underrated, overrated. Let's do ice baths. I've, I've seen you talk about this before. Ice baths, ice baths, ice baths. I, oh man. Um, for fat loss or in general, in general, in general. Oh man. Okay. If it's for fat loss, I would say it's overrated. If it's in general, I'm actually going to say it's underrated for, for whatever it's worth. Cause it's different, right? I think a lot of people, people conflate health and fat loss. They, they, they say those two terms and they think they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. They, if we're looking at a Venn diagram, health and fat loss definitely overlap in certain aspects, but they're not one and the same. Um, so if we're looking at just in general, I actually, I actually really like ice baths because I, I should rephrase it. I fucking hate ice baths. Right. But – I really like number. I mean, actually, I was just talking to my buddy Mike Vacanti about this the other day. He sent me a study showing how much your dopamine increases um, uh, transiently just from doing an ice bath, which is an unbelievable amount. I forget the actual number, so I'm not going to make it up. But an unbelievable, like more than for you know when you when someone smokes cigarettes, their dopamine will increase as they smoke right. a cigarette. Right? You get more of a dopamine hit from an ice bath than you do from smoking cigarette. So. Hey. I think that's uh, I also think there's really something to doing something that you don't want to do. Like, I think there's a lot to be said for doing something you don't want to do. And I hate getting in cold water. Like I absolutely with all of my being hate it. Yeah. So just from the perspective of doing something you don't like for, for getting in the habit of, of overcoming obstacles, I actually think ice baths are a really useful tool. I think there also are probably benefits for, um, for, for sore and aching muscles for athletes using ice, ice baths. So in that sense, for general overall well-being and for, for mental strength and resilience, I think ice baths are underrated. For fat loss, they're overrated. They're bullshit. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I would piggyback that by by saying, you know, like you said, ice baths are tremendous for building that mental fortitude and that resilience. And I feel like in our culture, we kind of lack rites of passage. You know, you and I, I, Mm. I'm pretty safe in saying that you got bar mitzvahed, right? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we yep. both got bar mitzvah. And in Judaism, right, that is symbolically like a rite of passage. Like they say, you, you become a man. We know that's bullshit. We're still boys, let's be honest. But, but you can't be a man at 13 years old. <laughs> exactly. My balls still have a drop, bro. So, <laughs> so, so we know, we know, like, and at least in my opinion, I think we're, we're, we're kind of lacking that rite of passage that you see in other cultures, like in South America, Central America. I know you've traveled to many places. Um, is there anything? So I think ice baths could be great for that. Like, hey, your kid is. 14 or 16, or instead of making him write 300 sentences, like put him <laughs> in the ice bath. Um, but is there anything that stands out to you that you've done that's been particularly challenging? You've had a lot of resistance towards that has really shaped you and uh, accelerated your growth as a human? Man, that's a really good question. A lot of different things pop up in my head, but I'll, pro- I'll say jujitsu. I think jujitsu is probably the the thing as of as of late that's been the most beneficial towards my mental health, physical health, emotional health, resilience, um, and and maybe even uh, we could call it anti fragility if we're going to bring in uh, Taleb into this, right? Where it's like jujitsu is one of those things where every day, so I do it six times a week, and I go to Henzo Gracie Academy in New York, and um, every day when I go in there, I'm I'm scared shitless every like every day there isn't a single day when i walk in through that door that i'm not because i know i'm about to fight and i know that i'm gonna get my ass kicked like i know it every day there's no question i'm gonna get choked out i'm gonna like my limb will be on the verge of breaking and they won't break it because i'll tap out and because it's a controlled environment but i know i'm gonna be put in really uncomfortable situations someone's gonna make me like uh, like i don't like being put in small spaces and then put somebody on top of me choking me out like that's a really small enclosed space that like is literally the most the most primal event that you could ever imagine fighting for your life right so every day i get scared shitless before i go and every day when i leave i could not be happier that i did it and i know i'm better for it i know that i'm stronger for it and then any obstacle i face later on that day is relatively insignificant because i'm still alive i didn't die earlier that day so i'm good like when I have that mentality, it definitely helps me a lot. Oof. Yeah, that's super dope. Um, did you did you start off doing like Karav Maga, like in Israel, or or how did that become something you got into? So I I wrestled my whole life. I started wrestling when I was eight years old and I fell in love with it. And uh I wrestled all through high school. I made varsity as a freshman. Uh and then I went from wrestling into powerlifting and then powerlifting took over my life for the better part of a decade. And then from there, I took years off because I was coaching Gary and I wasn't working out doing anything. And then after Gary, that's when I started to get back into grappling and jujitsu. I did do a little bit of Krav Maga in Israel. Actually, when I went to Israel for, when I was 18, I spent a year in Israel and uh, I had just obviously graduated college. I graduated high school. So Yehuda Hatzair, Young Judea. Okay. Young Judea year course. Yeah. 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 No way. What year? Uh, 2009, 2010. Dude, that's fucking wild. Were you in like Bat Yam, Halone? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So are you 29 or 30? 29. Turn 30. So, so I went a year before you, bro. That is fucking wild. (laughs) Wait, you did year course? Yeah, dude. That's crazy. I think was was your year the last year because of Bernie yes. Madoff? Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Bro. That's so crazy. I was in Batyam. Do you know do you know which apartment you were in? Yosef Tal 112. Dude, I was in 120. Let's go. <laughs> Holy shit, That's bro. so crazy. That is, that, what a small world. That's insane. It's so funny that this, I was literally just looking through all my year course pictures yesterday and sending pictures from my uh, Yosef Tal apartment to one of my old roommates. That's so funny. Bro, so so for those of you listening, like this is pretty insane. Um, <laughs> the, synchron- the synchronicities of the universe are are, are, are definitely playing their part. Um, basically after, after high school, I went on a gap year program to Israel and it turns out Jordan went on the same program, but <laughs> one year later, and we were basically living like 
in the same apartment, the same, same building. building. Same. <laughs> wow, bro. That's crazy. Yo, That's unbelievable. I miss man. all those cats. I, I don't know. Oh about my them. God. <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. Cats all over the place. Dude, that's so fucking cool. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll definitely connect about that at some point. Um, so, well, so, so when I was in Batyam, um, when I was in Batyam, I didn't like my volunteering. My, I hated the, cause I, I was, um, it's going to sound really bad for people who don't understand. I was, I was teaching, uh, I was in the school system, but for anyone who knows, Batyam is a very difficult school system. It's a really like not a great, not a great area. I think it's getting better now, but 10 years ago, which is crazy to say 10 years ago, it was not a good place. Like a really, really, uh, not the nicest place to, to live. Right. Which like was fun at the time. I loved it, but like, you wouldn't want to raise a family there. And, um, the school system was rough. It was really, really rough. And the kids were really, really rough. And I was like, I, I, it was very difficult for me to, to be there. So I ended up, what I did is I proposed an idea. I was like, listen, there's a Krav Maga studio uh, in Holon. And I was like, I would like to go and ask them if they'll allow me to teach their kids wrestling. If then I can then, if I can sort of volunteer there, I'll teach wrestling and then I'll take Krav Maga classes. And that's what I switched my volunteering to is I went to the Krav Maga studio and I was like, listen, I'll teach, I'll teach wrestling classes. So I taught kids wrestling at this uh, Krav Maga studio. And then I would take their Krav Maga classes. Dude, that's so cool, bro. Um, that's amazing. And, and, yeah, I'm still like processing all these synchronicities. That's so cool. Bro. <laughs> um, so, so Jordan, I want to I want to actually ask a couple. First of all, a couple of things that are off topic based on what we've touched on so far. So, you mentioned your anxiety, and I'm curious to know have you have you experienced? Yeah, I I smoked a lot of weed in high school a lot. I was like, just way too much. And then I never, I never got into any of that stuff, mainly out of ignorance and, and fear, right? Like, cause based off of what I've been told by the media. So I have zero education on it. I know literally nothing about it. I'm not against it, but I just, to be honest, I've never tried it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's pretty awesome to see. This is actually a really cool book. It's called how to change your mind by Michael Pollan. Okay. And it dives deep into like a lot of the research and, and, and stuff going on about psychedelics, specifically psilocybin. And if you see right now, actually, like the, those stocks that have IPO'd that are really on a mission to cure ADHD, depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, they're finding the efficacy of these things is like super high. Um, and I, I've received a ton of benefits from microdosing as well as my clients. Um, so, so we can talk about that as well. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm absolutely open to it. And then, and then something else I was curious about um, that's come up for me recently is I know that you're very close to your mom, yeah? Yeah, very, yep. Okay, so same thing for me. And my mom is a classic, typical Jewish mother. Very <laughs> loving. Some, some would say maybe a little too loving at times. <laughs> um, and something I realized, bro, was like in terms of creating an intimate relationship with, with a partner is there was a little resistance. Like, uh, and one of my shamans, my spiritual teachers basically said, it's something you should address with your mom. Mm. And I think something that my mom subconsciously was telling herself is that if her son, if I am giving my love to another woman. Somehow it's retracting from the love I have for her. Mm. And I'm curious to know in your process with your fiance and building that relationship, has there been any sort of like resistance from your mom or has everything been smooth? Um, it's a, I, no one's ever asked me that. It's a really great question. Um, as of right now, everything is great. It wasn't always smooth. And I, I don't think I ever had a girlfriend that my mom liked until like my fiance. And even early on, like <laughs> my mom was like not the biggest fan for no other reason than just, I think my mom didn't like the idea of me being with like a girl. Like my mom was like, no, I don't like, my mom didn't like any of my girlfriends ever. 
girl ever. Literally every time I got a girlfriend in high school, college, ever, every single time she was like, I just don't think she's good enough for you. It was like every single time. And, uh, and now, I mean, she loves my fiance. They get along super well. They talk on the phone. Like they, they shop together. They do all this stuff. Like, so they're, they're very, they're really great friends. And, uh, my mom loves her to death and she couldn't be happier for us. Um, but before it got to that point, I literally think it, my mom didn't change her mind on her until we got engaged. Like, I think that it was once we were engaged, my mom was like, oh, okay, it's pretty serious. <laughs> and then that was what changed it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, it's super, it's super interesting. Um, it, this like dynamic and how, you know, I'm sure uh, as someone who's coached so many people, you know, sometimes working through those blockages and those areas of interference with your family and the people closest to you can be the most challenging part. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So how do you go about approaching habit change and, and behavioral change with those people closest to you without like pushing it on them? Right. Man, that's, that's the million dollar question. Whoever can, can come up with the definitive answer to that, that works is going to be very wealthy because uh, that's, I mean, this works in everything in terms of health and fitness, right? You have a partner maybe who needs to take better care of their health. Like how do you, get them to, to take better care of their health without stepping on their toes or shaming them, something like that. How do you, how do you speak to your mom or your, your fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, like, how do you get them to make a change without overstepping boundaries? Uh, it's very, very difficult. And I don't claim to be an expert. I will say from my personal experience, um, number one, is making sure that they know you love them no matter what. Like, let's say they, they need to make a change. Something needs to change, whether it's how they're treating your partner or, um, or that they need to make a change for the betterment of their own health or whatever it is. Even if they don't do it, you still love them unconditionally. You will always love them. That, that has to be, I think, the foundation of it because if that's not there, then it will always be, the, the foundation will be shaky. It will, what are they fighting for if they don't know that's always going to be there, right? Like if, if they don't know that's, that's a constant, then oftentimes, well, why bother? So I think that has to be the foundation of, of how you approach it. That doesn't justify not doing what they need to do, but that does mean it gives them sort of a, a solid foundation to fall back on, right? So then from there, I think, especially if we're talking about health, and health and fitness, which is more my area of expertise, I think the best thing you can do is, is set a great example yourself, which is like for someone who's struggling with, with their health, their weight, whatever it is, um, you do you like, make sure that you're getting your workouts and make sure that you're eating the way you should be eating. Make sure that you're getting sleep properly. Don't shove it on them. Just you do you and make sure they know you love them and you keep doing you. And I, I would say that on top of that, maybe the top layer to this is make sure that what you're doing is, is something that's not like military regimented. Not is it, If you're doing something that is just outrageous and very few other people could do, it's not fair to expect that, you're, that your mom, dad, partner, spouse, whatever it is, should be able to do that. You should be doing it in a way that is sustainable and enjoyable. And if, if you're going out and you're not able to enjoy a slice of pizza, it's like, well, that's not really setting a good example for your partner. They should be able to have a slice of pizza without feeling guilty about it. They should be able to take a rest day from working out and be okay with that. Rest days are fine. If you're expecting them to work out seven days a week and track every single calorie and never have anything bad, that's a little bit ridiculous. There has to be a good balance here. So th that's what I would say. Yeah. And I definitely second that, bro. Like in, in, any, in any scenario, just really embodying what it is that you want to attract. Yeah. And if you want your partner or your family or your friends to maybe adopt some healthier habits or remove some toxic ones, the best way you can do that is like Jordan said, embody it. And, and for sure, in my personal experience as well, I feel like in the past, I would always have that approach that you talked about, you know, with my parents, like 
why the fuck are you drinking that diet Coke? Don't you know it has aspartame in it? <laughs> like, my dad's a brain doctor, right? Like he should know this shit. Um, and I'm, and I'm pushing these things in this dogmatic way, rather than coming from a place of unconditional love and like, Hey, you know, I, I, I want you to be the happiest and healthiest person for your future grandchildren. Like maybe let's try substituting this for that. Like some, some coconut milk for your, your regular milk or whatever it may be. And both of my parents have definitely, I mean, accelerated a lot in their health. So I'm grateful for that. Um, Jordan, my dude, let's do a quick little rapid fire. All right. I know, I know we're running out of time. And last thing I wanted to say actually about what you just said, sorry, um, is this show is going to come out like right after the holidays, right? Cool. And 2021 just started. And I bet you someone listening right now just got super triggered by spending that time with their family uh, <laughs> and, and understand that your parents, your family, they know all of your triggers because they've grown up with you and they penetrated and co-created your subconscious mind. So to be able to identify that and re-engineer that is, is powerful. So always come from that place of love, like Jordan said, um, and, it, and it might be challenging at times. So Jordan, um, I'm curious to know, bro, it's your final supper, all right? Final supper. You get to share this final Shabbat dinner <laughs> with three people. They can't be your family and mm. they have to be currently living. Mm, right. Okay. Three people. I want to know who are you sharing that Shabbat dinner with and what are you having on the, on the dinner table to enjoy? Oh man. Okay. And, and okay. And they can't be my fiance counts as family. I'm assuming. Got it. Okay. Um, Okay, I would say my buddy Mike. Can I have friends there? Yeah. Okay, all right. My buddy Mike Vacanti, who uh, I, I think he's my closest friend. Um, man, this is a good one. Uh, honestly, it's going to be two buddy Mikes. One, my buddy Mike Vacanti, who's, who was Gary Vaynerchuk's coach and, and helped get me that job. My buddy Mike, who was my roommate in, in Israel in Yosef Tal 112. And then I'm going to say my buddy, Adam, who, who I was a personal trainer and coach with for, for several years and is still one of my best friends to this day. So I got two mics and an Adam and they're just really close friends of mine. How and then got, what are we, what are we going to eat? We're going to eat, um, there's going to be a, a fresh, fresh challah. There's going to be a nice challah bread on the table, maybe even two, just cause like, why not? It's my last one. Um, hey probably going to have some shakshuka going to get some shakshuka on the table uh it's got to dip the challah bread in something nice like that going to get some a, a big fresh bowl of hummus maybe from abu hassan and then uh let's see we're going to have i got to get some pizza in there too just because like why not i love pizza and then um for dessert all right i'll pick one dessert one dessert is going to be For dessert, we're gonna get a big ass cheesecake. I'm just get a nice big cheese, New York cheesecake. How dirty to me. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your favorite Gary V one-liner quote theme? Is there one that stands out? There's a lot. There's a lot of that. I would say. All right, let me let me rephrase. So I know you mentioned two of them. Uh, in that video you post on YouTube, one of them was what's the worst that can happen. Yeah. And then the other, I believe was your insecurities are the jail of your emotions. Something along yep. those lines. Yeah, man. I, I, I stand by it. Those are still my two favorites. Those are still my two favorites. Um, if I had to, man, it's hard to say which one I'd rather go with. Uh, I'm going to say your insecurities are the jail of your emotions as probably the, the best one, especially in a, the world we live in right now, especially in the world we live in, which is so social media driven and so highlight reel driven in which it's so easy to share all the good, but not the bad. I think that creates way, way more insecurities. It creates way more, um, uh, imposter syndrome. It creates a lot more unhappiness because when all you're sharing is the good stuff, when all you're sharing is the wins, 
you, you feel bad about it because you know that's not all that's going on. You know there are things you're insecure about. You know there are some losses that you've had along the way. And you're deliberately putting a filter on your story, like literally, but also figuratively. You're putting a filter on your story so people perceive it in a way to seem far more grandiose than it actually is, which makes you And when I say you, I mean the proverbial you, but I also am talking to myself here because I struggle with it as well, is that you you get insecure in that, well, maybe people are going to find you out. Maybe they're going to learn the truth about it. They're going to learn the truth about you. And that's what imposter syndrome is, right? Whereas if you just tell the truth about your story, you share the good, but you also share the bad. You share your wins and you share your losses. You share what you love about yourself and you share what you hate about yourself. Well, now all of a sudden it's a much more balanced view and you don't have anything to hide anymore because you've got it all out there. You've told them the truth. People aren't, there's nothing else to find out because you already told them. Mm, That's so valuable, man. And yeah, that, that you can drop the mic after that one. (laughs) And because this is Thrive University and my mission here is to really empower people, inspire people with the tools and things that they never learned in college or high school, what is one thing that you wish you would have learned in school growing up? Oh man, there's a lot. (laughs) Someone asked me this on Instagram Q and a the other day, I put a big list of things. Um, I'll say two things. One, I really wish they taught me how to, how to understand like taxes and whatnot. That would have been a really big help just like understanding how to file your own taxes and whatnot. I struggled with that for a while. Um, the, the other thing I would say, I wish there was, I wish there was more of a, this is, I'm actually going to go a different route than I anticipated. I wish there was more discussion on philosophy. I wish there was more deeper discussion on philosophy growing up. Um, because it's so I'm really leaning more and more into Judaism lately and to religion in general. Um, I've actually been in a Bible study class during lockdown where I'd like, I'm not, obviously I'm Jewish. I'm not Catholic or Christian or anything, but I've been wanting to learn it and study from other people in different religions. And, um, one thing that is incredible to me as I lean more into religion and I read these stories from people who lived thousands and thousands of years ago is how those lessons are so relevant to today and how if you really dig into religion, then you also inevitably end up going down the philosophy route. And so much of the philosophy of life and living is from people who lived in times that are so unlike today, how, how much of it's so relevant to what we do now and the struggles we go through now. And there's no way they ever could have imagined the world world would become what it has become. So for the lessons they, for them to have learned then to still apply now is pretty fucking incredible to me. it's like in a world that was completely different, humans are still the same. And and I would really have loved to learn more about that growing up. And I'm learning about it now and I'm very grateful for it. And part of me wonders, could a younger me have really understood it? But I do think just even have getting my toes dipped into it more and introducing it to me would have been a a really great place to, to initiate, to initiate myself into that way of learning and that thought process. Mm, I love that, bro. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. I never really connected with any of my like Jewish teachers growing up. Mm. And, and I also kind of have that urge to dive a little deeper into it and spend more time in Israel and, and just reconnect. Um, But those are two, two really dope things. I'm curious to know, uh, what are you most excited about right now? Because, you know, you're 29, you just got engaged. There's a lot of momentum happening in your life. And you have a thriving inner circle that I believe just celebrated five years. Yep. Yep. Your online community that is, is so beautiful. What you guys are co-creating over there. What, what, what's next for you? Like what's on your radar that you're really excited about? Man, it's so funny. I, I sort of, it's a different question, but I sort of equate this question. I sort of, it's a different question, but I sort of equate this question. People always ask me the question of like, 
what do you want to do? Like, where do you see yourself in five years? Or like, what, what do you like, what's your goal? And like, what do you want to achieve? And it's so funny because ever since I started this in 2011, I, I, the answer has always been, I have no idea. Like, I, I have no idea. Like literally I just want to help people. And, and it's funny. I've, I've gone down different paths in my life. There have been times, for example, where as my business grew as, as a, as a consequence of that, as a natural consequence, there were times when I was more focused on money. Right. And one thing I noticed about that was, is whether, whether it was focused on money or focused on followers or focused on, on whatever it is, I always got more anxious and I always wasn't as passionate about what I was doing. Whereas when I focused on helping people, I immediately became far more passionate about it. The anxiety went away. And ironically, I ended up doing better business-wise as well. I made, had more income too. So for me, I've stopped making goals based around income. I've stopped making goals based around followers. I've stopped making goals based around numbers and continued to make goals based around what I love and what I really enjoy, which is as of right now in my life, helping people. And that's what I've been doing since for years and years and years. And I've always said, if I ever lose my passion for that, I'll stop. Like I'll, I'll, if I ever lose my passion for health and fitness and making that my career, I'll stop. That's fine. I'll do whatever I'm passionate about. But for right now, for the time being, it's just whatever the medium is, whether it's podcast, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Instagram, like I just want to keep helping more people. And the medium is just another way to achieve that. It's not, the medium isn't the way it's just another tool on the, on the, on the path. Mm, yeah, thanks for sharing that, brother. That's really interesting that you mentioned every time that you've been more focused on income and and uh, and and followers. It's it's manifested into more anxiety. Always. And when, and when you've when you've kind of leaned into service and impact, it seems to fill you up and energize you more. And every time, and I'll say that's not the same for everybody. There are many people who like their main goal is to make more money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't think there's something inherently wrong with that. I know many people are driven by that. For me, it created more anxiety. And for me, it wasn't something that was congruent with who I am. And so from the more I just focused on trying to help people improve their relationship with food, trying to help people improve, improve their health and fitness, the more I focused on how I can help people, the more the other stuff came as well. And the happier I was. Fuck yeah. And I feel like, like you mentioned, there's a direct relationship and correlation with the impact you're creating in the world. So I like to think of it as creating different impact streams, right? People talk about multiple income streams. When you have different ways to impact people through the podcast, through YouTube, through Instagram, through the inner circle, right? And you've built a lot of these ways of impact. Of course, like that's going to equal and manifest into more money. And it's more aligned to the way that you want to operate and do things. That's exactly right. Yep. And, and dude, I want to respect your time. Uh, and I want to just acknowledge you, bro, for the way that you're showing up in the world. And I've, I, I really, I really, resonate with your message and the way that you deliver it and the authenticity in which you demonstrate on a daily basis and the commitment and the consistency that you've shown and the way that you continue to serve your community in such a powerful way, brother. So thank you so much. And I just want to give you the opportunity to share for you to share where people can connect with you. Thank you, man. This has been a blast. I really appreciate you. It's been a, a great interview and I'm, I'm glad that uh, we were able to connect and I can't wait to talk more about your course with you. Um, if anybody wants to find me, they can, um, if you Google my name, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, you'll find me on Instagram, find me on YouTube, I have my own podcast. If you Google my name and then literally whatever medium you want after that, it'll come right up. Hey, you're Google go ball. <laughs> what's, the, what's the adverb for that? <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's exactly it. <laughs> All right, man. Um, yo, Thrive Tribe listening up. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. And you already know what time it is. It's time to stop settling for mediocrity and start thriving. Let's fucking go. Oh my goodness, podcast fam. I don't know about you, but that conversation with Jordan left me so inspired. I mean, this guy 
was in his college dorm room, staying up late, researching and writing articles, pursuing his passions, even though no one was reading, no one was consuming his content. And then one piece of content got seen by one person who introduced him to Gary Vee. And that just led to so many possibilities, so many opportunities. And I want you to remember and understand how powerful you are and that all it takes is one piece of content, one voice note, one text, one video to change the trajectory of your life. So remember fam, stay consistent, keep going. You got this, I believe in you. And if you got any value from today's show, please, 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 it means the world if you can leave a review because that helps us reach and impact more people, more lives, because so many people, especially right now, need our message, need this community more than ever. So again, it helps so much by simply taking those 12 extra seconds, leaving a review and sharing the show with a friend. I thank you in advance. I appreciate you. I love you. And let's continue this journey together where we are not settling for mediocrity because we know we deserve better. We deserve to thrive.